Well, good morning. Man, it's such a joy to be with you. Maybe you're part of our online family today, or our North Campus, or our South Campus. It's incredible to be with you as we do one thing. We encourage each other to take our next steps with Jesus so we can bless the world. It's really, really simple. Now, I don't know about you guys, but there are moments in my childhood that I can remember. And I know that means my memory is really good. But there's moments in my childhood that, that really stood out. They were marked days. One of those days happened a few days before my mom took a part-time job. You see, my mom had been a stay-at-home mom but there had been some cutbacks at the plant where my dad worked and he had to work part-time for a season. And so therefore my mom had to get a job. And because my mom had to get a job, things weren't gonna be the same in our family anymore. And I'll never forget the day my dad set me down and gave me a key to our house because after school I was gonna have to come home by myself. And you gotta realize that we didn't have available to us in my hometown what we have here at Beltway. Man, I am so blessed that we have what we call Kids Club. Now, if you don't know it, at our South Campus after school, every day, all summer long, there are hundreds of kids that show up. I mean, it is amazing that they show up. They're everywhere. There's all sorts of energy. They are safe. They are well-fed. They get to work on their schoolwork. They get to do all sorts of stuff, and they don't have to have the risk of a latchkey, a latchkey kid. And most importantly, they and their families hear about the amazing love of Jesus. We have that going on at the South Campus. We believe at our ministry center. I really do hope you will come out next week and kind of catch the dream for what God is doing at our ministry center. We're gonna be counseling at-risk youth and children. We're gonna have a daycare specially designed to help out in the foster system. I'm telling you, it's quite the dream we have. I want you to come out and pray over that building. We're gonna have an after-school ministry there, and we hope someday if logistics will ever work out, we can do it at the North Campus. We want to touch as many kids as possible. And I want to say this to you, Beltway Park, thank you. Thank you for making it happen, not just because of your generosity, though that is incredible, but because of the fact that no one ever complains that our buildings are always kind of messed up. I mean, it doesn't matter. We can paint a wall, and within like two weeks, it looks like a thousand hands just ran right along that wall, thousands of little feet all over new carpet and things like that. And everybody just says, that's awesome. Keep loving on kids. Amen? Thank you guys for that so much. Anyway, Kids Club wasn't an option when I was growing up. I was going to have to come home by myself. And I remember my dad, my dad, gave me a key to our house. More specifically, he gave me a key to his house, and he used a special communication tool called repetition to make sure I knew that it was his house, like again and again and again. In unmistakable terms, he told me what I could do and what I could not do with that key. I remember leaving that room after my dad talked to me. I bet I was two inches taller. My chest was like an inch bigger, man. I was walking tall and proud because my dad had trusted me with a key to his house. Believe it or not, the scripture says to you and I that God does something similar when we become his child. He gives us the keys to his house. And utilizing those keys the way we're supposed to actually leads to a life of rest. And if you don't believe me, I hope you'll believe the words of Jesus. If you will, that Bible you brought with you, open it up to the 16th chapter of Matthew. You're gonna to wanna to open a Bible, maybe at our physical campuses, grab a Bible underneath your chair or the chair in front of you on page 822. You're gonna to wanna to see this because I promise you're gonna to struggle to believe what's being said. The depths of what Jesus promises are almost to the level of seeming fantasaical. 
But I'm telling you, there's something for us on what we have when we become a child of God. Look down in verse 13, Matthew 16, 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say, the son of man, who do people say that I am? Now, from what we see in the Gospels, this was the only trip Jesus and the disciples made to Caesarea Philippi. The reason is it was very far north, it was very pagan, and it took a, 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 like a great number of days to walk up there. But it seems that Jesus came to Caesarea Philippi for this very moment in life. You see, this area was the most pagan area in first century Israel. There were all sorts of temples to various gods and goddesses, little g gods and goddesses. It was a place that the Roman Empire laid before people all the theologies, ideologies, and philosophies by which you could live. It's similar in some ways to the internet today. Caesarea Philippi would have been to theological thought what maybe Las Vegas in America is to gambling. Just option after option after option. The norm of the Roman Empire was you had all these little G gods and goddesses, all these philosophies, and you as an individual just kind of pick and chose what you wanted to live by. You formed your truth in your way. Interestingly, the most common reason that Christians were persecuted in the Roman Empire, and they were, they were persecuted severely. At different seasons, it was very heightened to the point of death. They were persecuted. The reason was because they spent their life convincing people that Jesus and Jesus only was the way to be, be right with God. That Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. Records show us that they did acts of great compassion. Like they changed the Roman Empire. Believe it or not, in the Roman Empire, they had a practice they called exposure. If a child was unwanted, they didn't have medical procedures like we sadly have today. But what they would do with that child is just put them on the trash heap and they would expose them to the elements till the child died. Christians began going to the trash heaps and picking up the kids, and raising them as their own. They showed great compassion. However, when it came to people saying, well, this is the way I feel like I'm supposed to live life, Christians were known to say, nope, Jesus is the only way. They would be respectful, they'd be honorable if people disagreed, but in the words of our society, they were intolerant, and they received a lot of persecution. I just tell you that to think so you will know that if you think that this is the only time in human history Christians have faced some of the realities we're facing, far from it. And you grab hold of something Jesus is going to say to us in just a moment. Even in a season like this, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of Jesus. He is going to walk us to a place of victory. Anyway, Jesus took his disciples to this place where they had all the various theological, philosophical, and ideological ideas by which they could choose to live their life. And in this place, Jesus asked, well, who do people say that I am? Now, it could seem that Jesus is doing like an informal opinion poll like politicians do today, and he would maybe sway what he did based on that, maybe like we do on social media polls. But we know from the rest of the Gospels, as much as Jesus loved people, cared for people, he ultimately did not care what people thought about him. He knew two things things. He knew who he was before the Father, and he knew whose he was, just like we can. This question, who do people say the Son of Man is, is actually a lead-up question. It's a set-up question to the real question, which is verse 15, when he looked at them and said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And the question was not just to the 12 that were with him in Caesarea Philippi. That question is for us right here, right now. Who do we say Jesus is? Verse 16, Simon, say Simon. Hold on to that because it's going to be important to us. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
more than just a correct answer on a multiple choice test. It's not like that Jesus was C in a list of eight options that were available in Caesarea Philippi and he got the right intellectual answer. He said, hey, you made 100 on the test. No, it was more than that. This was actually a confession. Hear that, a confession is more than just admitting I was wrong about something, more than admitting I failed on something. To confess means to align myself with that which is ultimately true. So yeah, if we get off and we make a mistake, we confess, we come back to the, that which is ultimately true. That is part of confession, but confession is just saying, I believe this is true. It is to choose a path to seek regularly to live by that path in life. What Peter is doing right here is he is aligning himself with Jesus. He says, you are the Christ. That word means anointed one. You are the king of the universe. You're the only ruler. You're the only one worth serving. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. You are the one that is following. You are the one God has promised for centuries. He is choosing Jesus as not just a way, but the way among all the options that exist on planet Earth. And when he does, Jesus responds. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. My Father in heaven has revealed it. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I shall build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against this. Now really catch this. This guy in the Gospels that we know as Peter, he was not called Peter growing up. That's not what his mama called him. When he was born into the world, you know, they didn't know whether they were going to have sons or daughters back then. And so a father would go out and announce to the family, hey, it's a boy. And his name is, he didn't say Peter. It's a boy and his name is Shimon, my boy, Simon, son of Jonah. What Jesus does in this moment, he says, I know you've been known as Peter. I mean, as Simon, but from now on, you're going to be known as Peter. He changes the boy's name in a moment. And he does it on purpose because he's speaking prophetically about what's going to happen in Peter's life. Realize that the name Peter in the Greek language actually means rock. And Jesus looks at him and says, I know who you are. I know about all the failures you've had. I know about all the mistakes you've made. I know about all the things that happened. But I'm going to do a work so great in your life that you're going to be one of the foundational humans upon, upon which I'm going to build my church. And the church is going to grow. It's going to grow. It's going to touch billions and billions of lives. And the gates of hell, I promise you, will not go come against and prevail against those that build upon the confession of my name in life. See, he gave him a new name based upon what he was going to do in his life. Let's be honest. If we were going to give Peter a new name, it would not have been Peter, right? We would have probably named him something like screw up, mess up, failure, because that's what he did again and again and again. Because as humans, the way we tend to define others, the way we tend to define ourselves is based on the past. And we let the past define a person and who they might be in life, not Jesus. Jesus knows what he is going to do in the life of a person who has aligned himself with him. He knows the work that is going to be so deep. So he speaks to the future. He calls out, catch this. He's doing it to you right now. He's calling out what you will become and what you can do in him. Shimon becomes Petra. Simon becomes Peter. And he can do this because, verse 19, I will give you the key. Somebody say keys. The keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Come on. If I ask you right now what are the most important keys you have, you'd probably say, eh, my, my vehicle, my house, 
Maybe a business that um, have leadership in, maybe a business I own, maybe you have one of those safety deposit boxes and that key is really important. Here's my question. Where do you think the keys to the kingdom of heaven rank in order of importance? I mean, even if we don't know all the implications of what it means to have the keys to the kingdom of heaven, I understand that we're gonna be unpacking that for years as we meditate upon it. Where do they rank in importance? I mean, come on. You say, David, what, what in the world does it mean to have the keys of the kingdom of heaven? I don't know all the totality of it, but I know this. Let it sink in. The Father. Our heavenly Father has entrusted you with keys to his house. Please, please, don't gloss over this. Don't minimize this. It's like, man, that's great church talk, Pastor. But I live in a real world. I don't work in a church. I don't live in the same world you do. This has nothing to do with Monday through Saturday living. I'm telling you, it has everything to do with Monday through Saturday li living. See, we are confessing as a nation that the way we're living life with all the prosperity, with all the advancements in science and technology, we are living a life where we are weary, where we are burdened, where we are restless, where we are overwhelmed, where we're depressed, where we're anxious. What we're doing is not working. We need something different. We need to live by the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So many of us are living so far below where God wants us to be because we're trying to somehow gain hold of the things that God has already given us in Christ Jesus. I remember um, years ago, I saw an advertisement for a flashlight like this. It had a crank handle on it. Now this was gonna be a big deal in my life because it was, again, a while back I had kids at the house and every time I went to utilize one of our flashlights, it didn't work. And I went to the battery drawer and guess what? Never had any batteries. I had a flashlight issue, I had a battery issue. Side note, my kids are now grown, do not live in the house anymore. Guess what? All my flashlights work. I didn't have a battery issue, I didn't have a flashlight issue. I had a kid issue, is what I had. And all the parents said, you know exactly what I am talking about. But this seemed like such a good idea, because what you do with this flashlight doesn't require batteries or anything. It's got this little handle. And all you gotta do is go wacko, wacko, wacko. You just make it go, and it creates some power. And I'm like, this is gonna be awesome. Every time I need to use a flashlight, I'm gonna have something, I'm just gonna generate my own power. First time it happened, man, something I had to go outside, look at something, I did that, I got my, I told my wife, I said, well, look at this. The baby's gonna work just fine. I, went, ooh, 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 I bet that's enough. And I turned it on, and you can see it worked a little. And I could like see like right here. And I thought, well, I'll give it a few more here. Uh, 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 uh. Didn't get much brighter. And I said, well, kind of sold myself out to this thing. I need to go utilize. So I went outside. You can't really shine it in front of you like this. You had to kind of shine it like this. And I went outside and I was doing the thing I needed to do. And all of a sudden, guess what? Man, no more light. So what did I do? And then I'd work as fast as I could till the light went out, and I did this, 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 and I kept going and kept going like this, and I decided this was a bad move. It's one of those things I got sold from TV. You guys have bought some stuff on social media. You know exactly what you're talking about, because all I did was work and work and work and work. So you know what I did with this flashlight? Gave it to my kids and said, this is now your flashlight. Do not touch my other flashlights. And I went and bought a bad boy like this that was plugged in all the time. And I said, do not touch, 
dad's flashlight. This is it. You don't touch it. And then when I needed a flashlight, I could, woo, and I can't even shine it because I got in trouble for shining in the camera in the early service. And it had all sorts. It's like a spotlight on it and stuff like it. It's a big, bad, more power, right? Oh. Anyway, I had this dude in life say, yeah, you're going to pay attention to me. Um, I got to figure out how to turn it off, though. This is how some of us are living our lives. We think if I'm gonna have any light, I'm gonna have any hope, I'm gonna have any freedom. I gotta go to church because if I don't, God's gonna be mad at me. I gotta fill my, my schedule and my kids' schedule because I need people to think I'm important. I think I'm a good parent in life. I'm more work and I'm more work and I'm more work because the future is insecure. There's a thing called a recession that seems to be coming in the stock market where the stock market's doing all sorts of crazy things. I know what the future's gonna be like. And I'm gonna buy stuff and I'm gonna buy stuff and I'm gonna buy stuff no matter what kind of debt it puts me in a market safe because I want people to think I'm worth something. I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to. In the words of the book, I hope you're still reading and engaging, it's living from chair two. I do things so I can have things so I can be something, and I'm tired, and I'm weary, and I'm worn out. And the entire time, you know what's happening? The Father is saying, just come to me and let me show you what I've already given you. When you became my child, when you say yes to me adopting you, I gave you the keys to my house. I gave you an authority by which you can walk in in life. I gave you the keys to the heavenly kingdom. And the implications, I'm telling you, are broad. But one thing I can tell you is this. Every child of God has authority for the impossible. Listen to me. You have authority for the impossible in your life. More than you can dream. More than we can realize. We have authority to become what we think is impossible. Things can change in your life. Addictions can be broken. Patterns that have been in your family for generations can be broken because we have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And we can do. Jesus actually said, we'll talk about it next week. He said, you've seen the things I'm doing. You're going to do even greater things than these because I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to do a work in your life. We can become more than we think is possible. And we can do that which we know is impossible. Why? Because we've been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus was on the earth, he was fully God and fully man. So if somebody asks you, was Jesus God or was he man? You go, yes. God, it's a paradox. It's high thinking. However, Jesus didn't use his divinity to live. Jesus lived just like us. He modeled the way we're supposed to live life. So I know this is going to sound like a technicality to some of you, but it's not huge. I don't believe Jesus did miracles while he was on the earth. I know miracles were performed through Jesus. But Jesus did miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit that God gave him under the authority of the Father. While on earth, Jesus lived like we're supposed to live, by the power of the Spirit. It is why Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. Nothing in the original language. Incredibly interesting word. It means nothing. Nada. Absolutely nothing nothing in life. He can only do what he sees the Father doing because whatever the Father does, that's what the Son is supposed to do. Why is that important? When we get adopted into God's family by faith, when we become a child of God, the same Holy Spirit that is in Jesus Christ is in me. 
That same Holy Spirit is inside of you. I don't know if it's the totality of the keys of the kingdom of heaven, but it's at least a big portion of the keys to the kingdom. It's why Peter would say later on, that same Peter, who was changed from Simon to Peter, who had this radical transformation happen, this guy that was a failure who thought would never amount to anything, he becomes a stalwart of the early church that really shapes the rest of the world in the hundreds of years to come. Peter would say, his divine power has given us how much? Everything we need for life and godliness. Listen to me. You don't have to work and work and work and work and work just to get a little light just to get a little hope, just to get a little rest in life. Everything we need to live a life of great faith. Everything we need to have a life of powerful faith, everything we need to have a godly life, we already have. We can become that which it feels impossible for us to become. We can become far more like Jesus than we have ever dreamed possible. We can think like Jesus. We can feel like Jesus. We can act like Jesus. We can respond like Jesus in life. We can radically become more and more like Jesus. And the reason this is important, because when I see about Jesus on the earth, even while Jesus was on the earth fighting the battles he fought, he still lived an abundant life. Jesus seemed to always be at a place of rest. When Jesus and his disciples were in a boat and they were going across the Sea of Galilee, a storm rose up. The storm was so strong that it actually concerned guys that had grown up on the lake. They were concerned that they were gonna die and Jesus was where? He was at the front of the boat, not the back of the boat, front of the boat, going up with the waves and all that and he was sound asleep. Why? Because he was utterly confident in the absolute care of the Father over his life. When Jesus stood before Pilate, the most powerful man in Israel at the time, the Roman governor, of Israel at the time. Jesus was respectful, but he was not in awe. He was not in awe of Pilate's power. He was not in awe of his position. In fact, Jesus said to him, hey, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Jesus was at rest even before Pilate, right before going to the cross. Utterly confident that his father was guiding his steps. Utterly confident that the father was working in all things for his good. We can live the same way. See, I know some of you right now are going, dude, you don't know me. You're absolutely right. I don't know a lot of you. I know who's in you if you're his. I know the promises of Scripture. Every child of God has authority for the impossible. Deep within, deep within our thoughts, deep within our hearts, we can become more like Jesus than we dared to believe. And that leads to abundance. Like one example of this, I want you to write down on your notes, Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. Right now, because I dare you to read it this week. And I chose this passage not because it's anywhere close to the totality of what it means to walk with Jesus, but it talks about human relationships, how we view and treat people. And it says things that we're gonna think are crazy. Like it says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought for what is honorable in the sight of all. Of all, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And those phrases all echo what Jesus himself, when he said, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. And right now, we're all going, that's impossible. 
I mean, I know, I know Jesus did that, but here's what we say. I'm not Jesus. But you have the same keys to the kingdom that Jesus had. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives inside of you as a child of God. We can, listen to me, over time we should become far more like Jesus than we ever dreamed possible. It's what we have. In your park news, you have a card. I'm gonna challenge you to get the card out. Right now, both campuses online, um, you're gonna have to pretend you have a card, okay? And the card's entitled Kingdom Power. Now, please listen to me. I am in no way claiming this is the totality of kingdom power. Just based on some of the more difficult passages in Romans 12, I chose four phrases. Especially, I don't know if y'all know this, it's election season. I hope you're registered to vote. I hope every one of you vote. I hope you vote righteously. I believe it's a privilege that we have as Americans to do what we're doing. And so I encourage you to do that. But in a political season, sometimes there's this thing called tension. Sometimes there's people saying things that, in a way that are pretty harsh and stuff like that. And there's ways we tend to natural response. And I picked four things because I think they feel really impossible in our society right now. What I dare you to do is this. Filling in the blank is easy. I just want you to put your name in the, each blank. And then what I want you to do this week is simple. I want you to read it once a day for a week. You can go longer than that, but I'm probably not going to get you to do more than a week. So put your name in there. David blesses when cursed. Now, I only put David in there if your name's David, okay? David loves enemies. David returns good for evil. David respects and honors when disrespected. And you say, that, 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 that's impossible. Absolutely, if you do it on your own, if you work it on your own, you're never gonna get there. But there's one inside of you. One who empowered Jesus on the cross to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And if you think, well, that was Jesus, not anyone else, and you go to the eighth chapter of Acts and you read about a guy named Stephen. Sorry, seventh chapter of Acts. And at the end, when Jesus, Stephen gave the message that he gave and they began to stone him to death. He looked up in heaven, saw Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And you know what he said? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He had something in him that we can have as well. We can become more and more like Jesus and have the abundance that Jesus promised to us. And we do it simply by becoming, living more like Jesus. We live like him who said, I can't do anything on my own. I only do what I see the Father doing. Paul told the churches of Galatia, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Some of us are trying to deal with our bad habits by working. I gotta stop, I gotta stop, I gotta stop, I gotta stop. How about we just plug into the Spirit? You walk by the Spirit, and guess what the result's going to be? Those other things are going to go away. It's fruit. I heard a story, I heard this week, largest pumpkin in recorded human history. Just a side note, even though this is a great thing, some of the stuff we're talking about in our society says we don't think deeply enough, okay? But anyway, I know it's pumpkin season, pumpkin, pumpkin patch season, the largest pumpkin ever recorded in human history. You know how big it was? It was the size of a Mini Cooper automobile. I know some of you are going, wow, that's good to come to church for. I get that. 
You know how it did it? It didn't think in its mind, get bigger, get bigger, get bigger, get bigger. It had inside of it the genetics for size, and it stayed connected to the vine. If I may, you have the genetics of Jesus inside of you. If you are a child of God, the very essence of Jesus himself resides inside of you. And all you have to do, stay connected to the vine. Don't worry about all this. Just stay connected. Walk by the Spirit. And the result is fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I know some of us are looking at some of these things and going, "Mm mm-hmm, that one's okay. Mm Mm-hmm, oh, that one's never going to happen. I don't think about this. We think about all the impossibilities. We think my whole family has been impatient for generations. Okay, so in this generation, we break it by the authority of Jesus. We do something different. Oh, I've been angry. I've just been prone to losing control all my life. No, you have inside of you the genetics of self-control. All we got to do is stay connected to the Spirit. And then you'll find that the impossible becomes possible because you have the one inside of you that nothing is impossible for him. This mind is going to think more like Jesus the longer I live. This heart is going to feel more like Jesus the longer that I live. I'm not going to make myself love my enemy. It's just going to be there. It's going to be a fruit of what I am because I'm going to connect to Jesus. Every child of God has authority for the impossible in life. Since we live by the Spirit, let us, notice this phrase, this is huge, keep in step with the Spirit. You know what that's an image of? It's an image of a dance. Not, not, not like modern dancing. Modern dancing, you get two people out there and they just all start waving their arms and their legs. One person's doing one thing, one's doing another. I could really break it for you right now. Yeah, and it would be a bad mental image that you wouldn't want. Um, I'm talking about the dance where two get close to each other. When one person goes, the other person goes. They stay in step with each other, right? If I may, dancing is a sign of intimacy. Here's what's sad about the word intimacy is we've so sexual, we so sexualized so many things in our culture. We sexualize it because sexuality is such an idol in our culture. We sexualize the word like intimacy. And so we can't use it when it comes to friendships. We definitely can't use it in our relationship with God, but it's a good word. We need to be intimate. Intimate and everything that's appropriate about that word. There's a closeness that we have. But there's also a recognition that when there's a dance going on, one is leading, one is following. If you are in intimate proximity to the Holy Spirit, who do you think should be leading in that dance? And if we just lived our life, I'm talking about Monday at work. I'm talking about Tuesday with your roommates. I'm talking about Wednesday with your kids. If we just stayed in step with the Spirit, what might be the fruit of our lives? The fruit will be the impossible. What you never dreamed could happen, Jesus will do exceedingly abundantly more than that because it's what you have. We can become more and more what feels impossible for us if we do so by staying in step with the Spirit. More like Jesus at every level by seeking to stay in step with the Spirit's leadership. And I'm telling you this, becoming like Jesus, it leads to a life of confidence, a life of security, 
a life of hope. It's a life of rest. So let's take a few minutes right now. And I want us to bow and I want us to pray. So I want you to bow your heads. I can't encourage you enough to come back next week because I'm just telling you the things that Jesus is calling us to do as a people, as individuals, there's so much that Jesus wants to do with our lives that we think is impossible. Our destiny in this life is not to survive and make it to heaven. Our destiny is to become like Jesus and live out the ministry of Jesus in ways that we never dreamed it could happen. And that absolutely can become reality because you have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. There's an authority. You bind it, it's bound. You loose it, it's loosed. You do so in step with the Spirit. We don't control it. But you know what? When I got the key to my dad's house, I didn't control the house either. He made that very clear. I had responsibilities and I had privileges. And I received the fruit of it. His house. We're part of the kingdom of the Almighty One, but it's still His kingdom. But we will see the things we desire deep within as we stay in step with Him. You want something radically different than what is the norm of this world? You've got to be willing to be radically different. See, I don't have an answer for you other than you better get close, close, close to Jesus and live close, close, close to Jesus. Church once a week won't be enough. Most of us aren't doing that. I get it. I'm just talking about our closeness to Jesus has to not just be daily. It has to get to the point where it's minute by minute. That's what we're striving for. It's something radical. If we want radical fruit, we do the radical thing Jesus did. And Jesus said, I can absolutely do nothing except what I see the Father doing. I'm a long ways from it, but I'm gonna strive towards it. And maybe you wanna do it well. To do that, you gotta keep drawing near to God. I know I keep saying that. The whole way we get to a place of rest is gonna be tied to that word intimacy. It's what you're reading in the book. It's what you're hearing in the messages. It's what you heard last week. It's what you're hearing this week. We gotta start making space in our life to draw near to the Father. So man, in your place of prayer right now, just say, God, I wanna draw near to you. I wanna come close, I wanna walk with you, I wanna stay in step with you. And we do that through community, through the word, through worship, through prayer. Just say, God, I need grace to draw near to you. But the main issue I see is this idea of being submitted to the Spirit's leadership. I mean, that really, when I get the keys to something, I want to be in charge of it. But I need to think like a child. Would you ask the Father for grace to be submitted to his leadership? I mean, day by day, moment by moment. Could we trust him enough to follow him, to obey him, even when we don't understand, even when we don't see how things are going to work out. I, I know people like to say in America, God will never give you more than you can handle. Uh, that, that's a load of whatever you want to call it, okay? It's a farce. He will daily give you more than you can handle because we're not designed to handle. We're designed to trust in him who can handle all things. We're designed to walk with him. I'm going to ask you to be bold. I'm going to ask you to make an external action where you say, God, I, I, I want to be submitted to the Spirit's leadership. I want grace to keep in step with your Spirit more than I ever have. I, I know I'm looking at the fruit and I want the fruit, but I want to honor you and I want to stay in step with your Spirit. I receive 
keys to the kingdom, and I'm going to stay. You've given me your spirit. and give me grace to stay in step with that spirit who will empower me for the impossible. If you would tell God, I want grace to stay in step with your spirit more than I ever have, put your hand up high and hold it there. Come on. I mean, no one's looking around. No one cares if you raise your hand or not. If you mean it, you raise it. If you don't mean it, don't raise it. So, Father, you see our, our cry. Help us. Help us. We need grace even to do that. So teach us how to be sensitive to your spirit's leading. Teach us how to stay in step day by day. Teach us to draw near in the midst of our world. Let us be so sensitive to what's going on. We want to think like Jesus thinks. We want to respond like Jesus responds. We want to speak like Jesus would speak. We want to feel like Jesus would feel. We want to get to that place. Spirit of God, help us. Forgive us when we've tried to do things on our own. We intended well, but we have made light of your gift. Let us rest in the fact that everything we need to live the life you've called us to live, we have. Let us just have grace to submit to your leadership in all things, I ask. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.